I'm going to sit on the sidelines, I have some cash that I waited, like for example, that house that I sold, you know, I had some cash that I was sitting on, just literally money sitting in the bank, you know, being eaten away by inflation, waiting for that market to drop so I can scoop up these amazing deals that are supposed to be happening, right? It's going to be 2008 all over again, right? No, it's not. So that waiting, that that waiting to find deals and waiting to, not waiting to find deals, waiting for the market to change and trying to time the market, right? That was a big lesson for me that I've, that I've learned. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Barry Griffiths. And today, this is so unique, guys. This is so unique, and I, I, I love it. I love it. So looking forward to doing this interview. Barry has, I, I can't think of any other word to say, a, a unique experience and and set of lessons and all these things that he's going to bring to you today. To give you a quick primer, Barry was in the WWE. He wrestled under the name Mason Ryan, and now he is a successful real estate investor. And today we're digging into some of the lessons that he learned throughout his career in the WWE and things that he's learned as a real estate investor as well. It's so unique, guys, because I'm not a fan of, uh, of professional wrestling, I'll just tell you. I know I was never into it, but you have to respect the work ethic that those men and women have. It's truly ridiculous. They work out all the time. They get out there on the stage in front of so many people that, you know, the rest of us would be afraid of doing, afraid of getting in front of everybody like that. And they go to war. They get so beaten up. They take such a physical toll on their bodies and they just keep going, keep doing it. And uh, Barry, Barry is one of those guys and he learned a lot through that process. And today you're going to learn some of the things that he learned and you're going to take some lessons away that you may be able to apply to your everyday life and apply to your real estate investments. You know, like I said, I was looking forward to recording this interview and I hope you enjoy listening. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Boat. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love bringing these unique topics and unique perspectives. And I learned something today. I'm sure you will as well. Without any further ado, here we go with Barry Griffiths. Barry, thank you for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure being here. I'm, I'm happy to be on the other side of the mic or what it said. I had the pleasure of interviewing you a while back, which was a lot of fun. And I'm excited to be here today and get into our conversation. Oh, the pleasure's all mine because you have such an awesome story and so many lessons to teach us. And frankly, you know, when I came on your show, I didn't get to learn that story because I was doing all the talking. So I'm going to have much more fun today for our listeners out there who don't know your background, don't know what you've done. Can you give us like a quick intro as to how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, you put pressure on me from the start that people are going to learn some lessons. I can't guarantee that to anyone listening, but I'm going to try. <laughs> but um, I, I'm from Wales in the UK, a small little town in, in Wales. About 200 people live there. No stoplight, fish and chip shop, post office, small grocery store, and three pubs in this small <laughs> little town. So it tells you a lot about how we live. So I grew up there, always knew that I wanted to get out of that town because it was all that, always a small town. And I love where I'm from and I love the people, amazing people, amazing place. But I always wanted more for my life. I always knew that growing up and I didn't know what that looked like 
I was always into sports, played sports my whole life. And then, you know, I was a soccer player, believe it or not, growing up, I was a skinny soccer player. And then I blew up my knee one, one, one year and then started lifting weights. Yeah, I started lifting weights and got in shape. And I was like, I mean, I'm spending all this time training, eating healthy. I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't do any of that crazy stuff. What can I do to kind of take advantage of this situation, right? I've built this physique. I've, you know, I'm dedicated. I love it. I enjoy it. And just at the time, I, I saw wrestling on TV. It just so happened that I saw wrestling TV, and I was like, these big jacked guys on TV, you know, being athletic. I was like, I've been an athlete all my life. So I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. So I, through luck, I went to a wrestling show in my small little town. Um, I met a promoter there who started me wrestling, started teaching me wrestling, and you know, got into the wrestling world from there. And I was traveling all over the UK, doing some Europe at the time, but very, very small time. And I was working for my dad at the time as a, as a carpenter. Um, I was probably the worst carpenter in the history of carpentry. But <laughs> <laughs> I was working for him at, at that at the same time. And through that wrestling all over the UK and whatnot, I, I got a chance to audition for the WWE and went to the O2 arena in London and met with the WWE there. And they pretty much signed me there and then. And I flew over to Tampa, Florida in 2010 um, to wrestle for, for the WWE. Spent a year in their training facility and then made my debut on w, um, Raw, Monday Night Raw, for anyone that's familiar with wrestling, which was crazy because at the time it was probably 5 million people that I used to watch that on a wow. weekly basis. So I made my debut with a guy called John Cena. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he's kind of a big deal. Uh, made my debut with him, went on to do pay-per-views, traveled the world probably every city in the US, but couldn't tell you what that looks like apart from the hotel, the airport and the gym and the, the arena, of course, because every city becomes a blur after a while. Did that for about four and a bit years and then then left there and got a job then with Cirque du Soleil um, here in Las Vegas. So I moved out to Vegas from Tampa and I've been performing for Cirque du Soleil for four and a bit years. Um, we're currently not on lockdown, but on pandemic stop, I guess you'd say here now. We've stopped since March 9th and not really sure when we'll go back. But through that, I started investing in real estate in about 2014, but bought a house to live in, became an accidental landlord. Terrible purchase, not a terrible purchase, but pure emotional, non-investing purchase. Loved the house, loved the way it looked. But then through Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Bigger Pockets, Ended up buying two properties here in Las Vegas. Um, recently sold all of all of that to focus more on multifamily, which is something that I love now. I'm passionate about. I own six units just outside of Cincinnati, a place called Covington, just outside of Cincinnati. But looking to scale up and kind of create that other income, that Plan B that I never had before, and being in um, entertainment. I think that's essential. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. It's a long story long, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, we love, we're here for the long version. And for the listeners out there, just a bit of a background to our discussion here is you and I were on a, a recent you know conference event now that we're all working from home and doing these online conferences. And you had made a few comments in your speaking time that got me curious about like the mindset of success and different things that you've observed, particularly you have a very uncommon background being from Wales, which is, you know, completely foreign to all of us here in the, in the U S the, the mindset differences and plus, you know, being in the, the WWE and, you know, all the other things that you've done and, and seeing all these different things. I really wanted to dig into some of the mindset differences that you've noticed, say between the the U.S. and say Wales or where you grew up, and dig into get into some of the positive or the the good lessons that you feel you've learned, picked up along the way, and 
positive differences? Yeah, um, I'd say for one, um, I think I mentioned in the panel at the time, is that mindset is not so talked about in the UK. Maybe it is. I mean, I've been gone nearly 11 years now, so you know, I can't speak for recently. But when I was growing up playing all kinds of sport, mindset was not a thing that was never mentioned. You know, it was all about the sport and playing, and which is fine. But I've noticed here since you know, I, I love sports. I, any documentary about sport I'm watching, and I realize, you know, from an early age here. You know, especially if we say um, American football, I call it American football, <laughs> but uh, football here, you know, from an early age, you, you hear coaches talking about that kind of mindset uh, um, component of, of athletics and of sports, right? But it carries through to everything. So I wasn't aware of that so much until I actually moved over to the US and was surrounded by college, college athletes and some NFL players and, you know, all, all these professional athletes that, you know, were in the WWE because, you know, that's what we are. We train five days a week, you know, sometimes seven shows and whatnot, um, that I was surrounded by that. And I, I was aware and became aware of that mindset because it's something I've realized maybe that I've always worked on, right? Worked on myself that I always knew that I needed to improve and always maybe came from that point of always wanting more. So I'd say as a positive for one here in, in the US, for the most part, I say the mindset component of stuff, right? The mental understanding is is much much greater than than in the uk i think maybe in the uk a little bit as well and where i was from it's more of you just kind of get on with it right you just you know have that attitude of get on with it and there's nothing wrong with that but i think it's also good to dive into an understanding your thoughts right your limiting beliefs your self-talk whatever it is right what what motivates you what 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 motivates all these things are, are really important and as I developed, I developed this more and I realized there were some things that I had already, you know, and, um, you know, there were certain things that I realized that I, I said to myself that were just, I think were just ingrained, like, like about going to the gym. It's a must, right? And it's the same with real estate. You can apply this to real estate. Once you realize that it's a must, it's no non-negotiable. Right. Going to the gym to me was a non-negotiable. Eating seven or eight meals a day was a non-negotiable. I had to do it. Right. It was a life or death thing almost to me. Right. If I missed a meal, I was angry and pissed off, to be honest with you, because it was just what I told myself that I had to do. And it's, you know, it, it carries over the real estate. Right. You realize once you speak to people that, you know, they're going to make that phone call, they're going to write underwrite that deal, they're going to drive the property, they're going to do whatever it takes for successful people, because it's a must for them, because for whatever reason, they have that why, and my why was to get to the WWE and to then be a world heavyweight champion and to create this life for myself that maybe I didn't fully pick, I, you know, I knew I had these goals that I wanted. And that's why I had these set targets that every day that I had to follow. And I think from when I understood that and I heard people talk about it, it was in real estate. I think it was Rod Khalif, actually, to be honest with you, that says that once you realize that it, you you make it a must, or I think he uses a different phrase, but along those lines that it's a must, then there's nowhere to go from that. You must do it, right? If you tell yourself, ah, yeah, t today I need to drive this property, or maybe I make an offer, or once you use that kind of language and, the, you know, I guess it's, it's a self-talk, into that kind of language, you give yourself an out. But I knew every day that I must go to the gym. I must do this. I must. It was a must in my brain. And it wasn't that I programmed. It was just that's how I worked at that time, you know. And and it was also, you know, when I went to the gym, it was a must that I have a, a, a good workout. Like I was, I don't want to say I was willing to die in the gym because that sounds dramatic, but I, I almost was, right? It was just that do or die attitude that going to the gym and I was going to do everything I could to have the most amazing killer workout every single time. And it, I, and I think 
I think that's one of the biggest realizations that I had was that that must and that understanding of where that came from. Interesting. Okay. And if folks are, I don't want to say, if folks want to see the results, and you're talking about the the gym aspect, just just you know, Google Mason Ryan, you'll see. I mean, he's not he's not BSing. He was putting in the work at the gym, and uh, you know, it definitely definitely showed. And most people, you know, eating seven to eight meals a day, I wouldn't complain about. I don't think, but that's because I'm a I'm a glutton. I, I could do the seven <laughs> seven to eight meals a day. I don't well, know. Well, it depends on the meals, right? It's yeah, seven true. or eight meals of like tuna and uh, dry rice or ch- dry chicken and you know dry potatoes. It's not it's not ne- never anything very appetizing. It's just <laughs> a bunch of stuff that's not really that great to eat. So uh, you know, you have a very unique experience having been in the WWE and really, yeah, any of those and being out, I think even more generally in the public square, I mean, you, you mentioned at one point there were 5 million people watching Monday night raw. And I mean, most people, Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld has a joke where he says, and most people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. So at a funeral, they'd rather be the guy in the casket than the guy uh, doing the eulogy. And, and that's true. And that's, pales in comparison to being in a ring with your underwear on and John Cena and all these other people and everybody around you and being on TV. I guess I I wonder like, how does the, the must aspect figure into that or how did it factor into that for you? Did you feel like stage fright or, and how did that impact you? There's a few things. For one, public speaking is still not high on my list of things. I want to podcast and you know, I, you know, I, I can do it, but still, despite actually performing in front of 20,000 people in the ring like that is much easier than speaking to 10, 15 people, you know, uh, about a certain subject. Because for one, it's so many people, it's just a blur, right? You have 20,000 people in a, in, a, in, a, in an arena, it's just a blur. Plus, you're so focused on what you're doing. You know, you have your task in hand, you have your opponent and you have the match lined up, right? Whatever you guys are going to do in that match and, you know, not to give away, you know, <laughs> some secrets here, but I think pretty much everyone knows that's listening to this, that, you know, the, the outcome is predetermined, right? And it's, you know, it's entertainment. So you're focused on what you got, you want to do in that match. So everything else that happens around you is kind of irrelevant. And you don't think for one second about the 5 million people because they're through a camera lens, right? They're not there. They're not, you know what I mean? You, you can't see it. You can't even envision it. It's just a number that you, you know, you don't think about that for a second. Um, so, but without a doubt, there's nerves, right? Because, you know, you want to do well, you, you know, that match is going to be a reflection of your talents and your progress in wrestling. And, you know, it's just like anything, right? It's a performance. It's like a movie star in a, in a, in a good film or a theater actor, you know, it's important that you put on a So nerves come from that more than the people and whatnot. But after a while, it's the training that kind of gets you through it. Right. We train, like I mentioned, I trained in Florida for a year and we train, five days a week, three hours a day, you know, minimum, right? That's a lot of training and a lot. Then, you know, you have matches on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, sometimes Friday you'd have matches. So at that point, you've had a lot of matches. You've had a lot of training. You put a lot of thought and effort into what you're doing. So that a lot of times that carries you through and you have that adrenaline. So if we were to equate it to maybe public speaking and if someone could learn a message, I think it's preparation, right? I would say, right? If you're one of those people who would rather be, you know, giving you you know i think preparation is key so whatever your subject matter is and wh- whoever you're speaking to if you can research that and practice what you 
what your speech is going to be. You know, that preparation is going to hold you in good stead to kind of have that success. And I think it was the same for me. It was that definitely there were nerves, but also again, it's that like you talk about this last to succeed and that want and willingness to put yourself out there, right? You don't get to being in the ring and you're supposed right without having a must and a want and a why and a, a willingness to kind of do stuff that other people aren't willing to do. Um, and I think those are the things that kind of carried me through those times, which is strange looking back. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, you know, being in, that's a high pressure scenario, right? You're, there's a lot of, money on the line for you to perform in the situation, but not just in that situation, like as a, a member of that organization, as a brand, you know, when you're a, a brand and something like that. And I, I guess another aspect when I think about the pressure there is the people aspect of being in such a, I, I, I hate to use the term like type A personality scenario, but you know, that's, that's what comes to mind is you're probably working with a lot of ultra high performers. I mean, those guys don't get to, you don't get to that level without being a high performer period and without being a high performance person. So I guess, is there anything that comes to mind about uh, the, I don't know, human nature or, or dealing with working with other people uh, that you learned in that experience? Uh, well, for one, it's all the competition, right? You, we're all even though it's a team and everyone's there to help each other and whoever you're in the ring with, you want to have a great, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's, it is somewhat true. But at the end of the day, everyone's out for themselves, right? If, if I have a bad match and, you know, I don't progress to the next level as I would, nobody's going to be there paying my bills for me and nobody's going to be there carrying me, right? You know, I, I've left WWE for six years now and there's, you know, very little guys that I keep in touch with. And that's not a reflection of anyone. It's not a reflection of me. It's just how it is, right? It's not, it's kind of a doggy dog world, right? It's just how it is. It's same in entertainment, same in sports teams to some extent. It's the same, you know, throughout the world. Um, so you, 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 you kind of realize that I was a small town boy getting there. You know, I told you it was 200 people, you know, and it kind of, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily that type A person necessarily, but you know, you kind of learn how to kind of take care of yourself in terms of, you know, you, you know, you want to help other people, but you've got to be kind of out for yourself first and foremost, right. In, the, in that business. But also, you, you know, I always didn't want to be that person that was just a cutthroat person. So I never like stabbed anyone in the back, never did any, any of that kind of stuff. But I don't know. In terms of lessons, I don't know if there is a lesson, I guess, in, you know, the biggest lesson I had was, I think, was just, you know, take care of yourself and focus on yourself. I guess that's a lesson, right? To focus on yourself because you can get caught up in what other people are doing and worrying about what they're doing. And again, if we translate this to, to real estate, you know, you can look at other people being successful, doing whatever they're doing in, you know, flipping, wholesaling, multi-family syndications, whatever it is, and seeing what they're doing and how they're doing and being caught up in that, looking at them mentality, right? And not focusing on yourself. But if, you know, I always try to focus on myself and, you know, I always was just, I'm always going to be in shape. I'm always going to be on time and early. I'm always going to be super professional. I'm going to be ready at all times, right? And that's all I could control. There was other stuff that I couldn't. And I think that, you know, I think that translates to real estate. If you just focus on your investing career and what you're doing and what you see your path to success being, you know, that's, I think that's a good, good lesson to learn there. So, um, you mentioned you read rich dad, poor dad. That's what you got you to, uh, really focus on investing in real estate. You live in Vegas, but you 
it seems to me you've invested remotely. So can you tell us about that experience and you know, kind of where you are now? I think you said you've sold everything now or, or, or where you stand and what the next steps are. Yeah. So I bought the property in 2014 in, in Florida, became an accident landlord, <laughs> had to get someone in because I couldn't, because uh, I didn't want to sell that property because I had a, a huge mortgage on it. So I had to find a tenant, you know, do all that work. And that's, you know, kind of, kind of started the path down the real estate investing career. So I held on to that house, bought two properties in Las Vegas. Um, and I, and, and when, one day I, I, my goal was to get to 40 single family homes, right? And this story I've heard it a lot of times, right? You start out single families and you think, okay, how many single family homes do I need to, to get to my, to get to my number, right? A lot. I think <laughs> mine was 40 or something like that, factoring like $250 per, per home for, for cash flow, right? So I was like, okay, 40, four properties a year, 10 years. It's a lot of money, 20% down payment, looking for each home. You got to look at a hundred properties, make 10 offers to get one. And then someone will said, Hey, do you realize if you just buy one 40 unit apartment complex, you were there. I said, excuse me. <laughs> if you buy one 40 unit apartment complex, you, you're at your 40 doors. You're at your, and if you can get 250, a unit, whatever, you're, you're at your number in one deal. And I was like, wow, well, maybe I not, might not do it in one deal, but I can do it in two or three deals maybe and get to that number. So I started me down that path and I learned about multifamily, you know, about the classic ride. If you have one single family home and it goes vacant, you're 100% vacant. But if you have 100 unit property, you know, this one goes vacant, you have 99% occupancy, right? And all that stuff and the economies of scale and all the good stuff that I'm sure you've spoken to, spoken about a million times before. So I was hooked. I was like, okay, so I sold all my single family properties so that I could, they'd gone up a decent amount in, in, in value. So I was like, well, let me take that equity off the table. And, and have that money so I can invest in real estate. So I ended up, I was looking in Vegas at properties and properties in Vegas at the time. This was probably two years ago and I was ridiculous in my opinion. It didn't really make sense. And you can find a deal in any market, right? So I'm not really using that as an excuse, but I like Vegas kind of is a boom and bust town, I feel like as well. It's just my opinion. When it goes up, it's great. But when it goes down, it's not so great. And I wanted somewhere a lot more stable that I can invest over the next 10 years. And I chose Cincinnati because um, Joe Phillips is my coach. So I was speaking to him. I was saying, Hey, I like the Midwest in terms of stability. And he said, well, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati. Have you looked at Cincinnati? And I looked at Cincinnati, you know, at job growth, population growth, all that good stuff, you know, job diversification, um, tenant, tenant landlord laws, all that stuff. And, and obviously pricing there was a lot more attractive than Vegas pricing. So I ended up buying six units, um, earlier this year, um, there that is more of a turnaround project rather than a long buying them, buying up buy and hold um but i'm renovating the unit slowly covid has put a dent in that because it wasn't able to um, get any of the tenants wrong but it's going to be a turnaround project and then i'm hopefully going to be able to um, create a good substantial amount of equity that can then turn 30 10 31 into something that is more of a buy and hold 30 to 40 units hopefully that you know i can take advantage of the cash flow and pay down the debt, you know, move, push rent, get the tax benefits, all that good stuff. The reasons why we love multifamily. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, so that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm also looking to buy some other stuff myself. And, and also recently I started working with, um, with some partners, with some associates and looking at the Las Vegas markets to kind of do a syndication out here, because even though, Right now, maybe not the best time in the world to buy here. I think there's going to be some pain in Vegas. And I think, you know, taking advantage of that, buying, you know, you should never time the market, but 
that that could work you know if you if you buy in vegas when there's some pain vegas is i always believe in vegas right maybe not right now but i think vegas is always going to come back it's the party capital of the world right everyone loves coming to vegas and i think you know it's always going to have that bounce back effect um and there's some other reasons behind that as well but yeah that's kind of where i'm at now nice well it's there's a big difference between timing the market and reading the tea leaves and maybe reading the tea leaves isn't really the best analogy because that didn't work either but (laughs) looking at the data and seeing, okay, how are collections in Vegas now in these asset classes? Where is unemployment and where is at, where are asset prices, particularly compared to when unemployment was not dismal. And maybe if, you know, my expectation, I'm not an expert on Vegas at all, but you're right. From the outside, it is a boom and bust town. If anywhere is going to get hit by the destruction of, travel and vacationing i mean vegas yeah yeah it's no it's heavily heavily dependent on tourism you know i think it's 27 percent of um, jobs here you know directly come from um leisure and tourism around gaming so you know with people not traveling the same especially international travel like we depend heavily on international travel i know from our show we see people from all over the world in our show and those are the type of people that come and you know if you're coming from the other side of the world you're not here to just pinch the pennies right and save them and you're you're going to every show you're going to do everything you can in vegas because you might never be back it might be the only time you've ever come to vegas so um we're we're very dependent on those and all the jobs then therefore have you know all the you know the the casino workers uh you know all these type of people are dependent on that tourism so if you know if that doesn't come back anytime soon i think there could be some deals maybe i don't know just trying to position ourselves to kind of see what happens with that yeah no these situations create opportunity and you're lining yourself up to take that opportunity so anybody out there is wanting to learn about what happens in Vegas once things start getting a little better Barry's going to be in that position so reach out yeah, to him right now sure. <laughs> right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor all right Barry I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show are you ready I'm born ready come on man all right great. <laughs> first one what's the best investment you ever made other than in your education um, if we're talking about uh, pure real estate investment, um, it's probably going to be the, the the deal that I'm doing now in Covington. Um, I bought it for three hundred thousand. It's a six unit. It's in a nice part of Covington, which is just outside Cincinnati. It's a nice tree lined street. It's you know the the area is kind of gentrifying. There's a lot of cool stuff, young professionals all around that. So I bought it for three hundred thousand. Probably going to be put one hundred and twenty thousand in there. Um, so I'll be in for about four twenty. Um, give or take. And then I thought initially I was going to sell it for about 500. That's, you know, those are the numbers I kind of looked at about a year ago when I, when I, when I was um, looking at it. But since then, I've realized that I can probably, seeing as I've been able to push rents much more than I have, and also the cap rates have kind of compressed a little bit more since then in this area, surprisingly, because it's such a, such a great area. So I'm hoping I can sell it for around 650. So maybe even a, a touch above that. So yeah, so, you know, th- that was the deal I was talking about. So I'm going to walk away with, you know, 300 plus thousand in equity that hopefully I can then leverage again into something, you know, much, much bigger. And I think that deal will really set that ball rolling and that snowball rolling for me. So that's a, probably the best investment I've made so far. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? 
um, there has to be that first deal, right? Even though it was the first property that I bought, so that, you know, had that experience of buying it. And most people usually say their first investment is their best one, right? And to some degree, because they, 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 they did that investment. But um, I bought it as a pure emotional buy. It was 430000 in an amazing area and an amazing community, but that community, I, I think I was charged paying three to four hundred dollars a month in HOA and CDD fees, right? Just alone. So then all that in, I was about my mortgage was about twenty five fifty a month, you know. Wow. Which was yeah. So then when my contract came to an end with WWE, which was fine at the time when I was with WWE because I was making decent money, I was like, all right, this is didn't make that much sense, but it was, I was, you know, more comfortable in that position. So once, once I came to an end, I had this huge mortgage that I was, <laughs> that was a burden to carry on me, you know, and I was trying to find a way to keep the house, but also find someone to rent. Cause that's a lot of rent to try and get. Right. So, um, I eventually got someone in, but I got them in at like 2,300. So I was negative cash flow about 250 a month for about a year, but they did put in, so this house had windows all around. It was like on the water. These people moving in, they had a blind company or something. So they put blinds in all this window. So that was about eight grand's worth of um, blinds that they put in. So it kind of made up for that. You know, it kind of made up for that cash flow that I lost. But still, it wasn't, it was a tough one. And then I, I ended up selling it four years later. I ended up selling it four years later for 484. So by the time you add in the commissions, I barely made, you know, the real estate commissions and the closing costs and whatnot. I pretty much made no money on it. And I had it for four years. And the, the most people are like, okay, you didn't lose money. Right. But the thing is that opportunity cost at the time in Florida in 2014, thinking back, there was for sale signs everywhere. So I'm, you know, had I had I known what I know now, or even just a little bit, <laughs> such a great deal. I made so much money, and even bought two or three deals with that same money, that would have made me so much more money. So that, you know, it's not a horrible deal. You know, I've heard plenty of stories of people losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I didn't necessarily lose money, but it was that opportunity cost. I think that I could have done so much better. Question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Yes, uh, the one for me, the most, the biggest lesson for me has been I'm, I've always been a little bit not hesitant, but I w- wanted to wait, right? So since around 2018, I thought, oh, the market's going to crash a little bit. I think it's going to happen. I want to wait for good deals, right? And you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sit on the sidelines. I have some cash that I waited, like for example, that house that I sold. You know, I had some cash that I was sitting on, just literally money sitting in the bank you know, being eaten away by inflation, waiting for that market to drop so I can scoop up these amazing deals that are supposed to be happening, right? It's going to be 2008 all over again, right? No, it's not. So that waiting, that that waiting to find deals and waiting to, not waiting to find deals, waiting for the market to change and trying to time the market, right? That was a big lesson for me that I've, that I've learned. And, it, you know, it, it's, cost me some opportunity, probably cost me some money in terms of inflation. Um, and just also in terms of growth as well, right? Once you get into deals, you not only make that monetary money, you also get that experience. You learn so much about yourself, about the deal, about the investment class that you're in. You just learn so much. So all those things have kind of cost me, I'd say. So that, that's been the biggest lesson. Don't, don't wait, right? Don't don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait, right? It's just classic. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for joining us today and bringing all these lessons, teaching us so much. If folks want to 
get in touch with you if they want to learn more, if they want to hear what's happening in Vegas down the road once, uh, you know, recession hopefully goes away, we get back to normal times. Where can they find you? Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram as Barry WWRE, which stands for Wrestling with Real Estate. Um, I have a podcast called the WWRE. Again, the the Wrestling with Real Estate podcast, um, and I have a YouTube channel called channel called Wrestling with Real Estate. So yeah, you guys can find me there. And if anyone wants to set up a call, um, I love speaking to people and connecting people. There's a link in my website called WrestlingWithRealEstate.com. If you guys go there and sign up for a 30 minute call, I'd love to speak to any of you about whatever you guys have going on with real estate. So yeah, I'm lo- looking to connect with as many of you as possible. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them in the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.